Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to hello at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. So anyway, like I said, this new series is called If I Only Knew, and we just finished this in this house series talking about our, our vision and how God's calling us to, to reach the city and what that looks like. We ended talking about some of the pillars that would hold up this, this vision and bridge the gap between God's love as the foundation and this mission or vision that he's given us. And now we're going into this series. Part of the reason for this is in five weeks, we have three or four different speakers. So we have a lot of guests coming in this time. That's kind of the nature of your pastor going to Africa is somebody else is going to come in. And so we have Hillary Paulson from our Corvallis Church that's going to come on the 24th. Uh, we have Pastor Alfredo Canencia, also known as Pastor Coach, coming on December 8th. And so this series helps us get a direct impartation from each person. Not necessarily just a, hey, here's this scripture, preach it. But like, hey, if, if there was one thing that you knew when you started out in this life of following Jesus that, you're, that you've learned that has been impactful, what, what, what is that? And it's hard to nail it down to just one thing, because as soon as you think you know the one thing, then God does something. And there's another thing. I get that. It's figurative, not necessarily literal, necessarily literal but that's what we're going to talk about. And so I get to start it off, and I'm excited about, about this message. I've been jumping around between three or four different things for this, and given the just all the circumstances of this week and all the emotions of this week and everything else... God really like solidified like yesterday which one I was to continue and finish. So I had kind of these two or three messages developed. It's like, which one? And, and here we go. So I'm excited. I believe that God has, has anointed this word, and I hope that it, that it blesses um, all of us. Um, so first off, I think there's something that each of us has experienced as we start this life maybe following Jesus or exploring what it means to follow Jesus. And one of the initial things that I encountered was just thinking like, how, how is he going to use me? Right? Every preacher or every book or something talks about like, and he's going to use you and he's going to work in you and through you. And I'm like, but do you know me? Like, how is he going to use me? And I wrestled with that. And especially it was amplified as I responded to the call to plant a church. It's like, hold up, this guy? Like, are, are you kidding me? That was my initial reaction. And now there's probably some ministry that needs to be done there, but some of the initial thoughts that would go through my head would like, okay, I need to really be a really good speaker for God to really use me in this, or I need to like grow this really big church for God to use me, or we need all these metrics and numbers to measure up to some national averages or above that for God to really use this church. I have to have some outstanding, unshakable faith for God to really use me, or need to be able to raise a bunch of money or figure out how to make things happen. That's kind of where we go in our flesh, right? How do we, how do I figure this out? I needed this. I needed that. I need to be better at this. And I've come to realize, and I continue to realize at a greater level each and every day, that these things may be a bonus from time to time or may be helpful in certain situations, but there are way too many eyes in this train of thought for them to be from God. Amen. 
there are way too many eyes. I need to this. I need to this. I need to be better at this, but I'm not good at this. I, I, I. And all the focus is on me and my shortcomings, and I significantly undervalue the promise that he will perfect, be perfected in my weaknesses, that he will be the strength in these things. And I've come to realize that over time, like, man, thinking that way about I just need to be better, I'm not good enough, has way too many eyes for those thoughts to be from God. All the things that this world may consider prerequisites to our being used to do amazing things by God are actually not what he's looking for at all. There's a lot of amazing speakers and businessmen and whatever else out there that, that aren't the ones that God has anointed at this point in time to lead churches or do things. Like all those flashy things that the world says, oh, there it is. Like that's not necessarily what he's looking for. And I want to help us understand that today. And to do that, we're going to go back to the book of Exodus. And we're going to be in chapter 4. If you have a Bible or an app, you can find your way there. It's the second book. And I'm going to speak today a message that I pray God makes real to each of our hearts. That he makes like real, not like that's, that's great. I understand that. But that it becomes tangible, real, meaningful, something that we can walk out and get at a heart level. Because he's, he sure has done that with me. And I pray that for every person here today, he's going to speak to you in this area. That this isn't just a testimony of the pastor and one or two people are going to get this. I really believe that this word is for each and every person wherever you're at today. So we're going to start out with a little exercise so you guys don't fall asleep, okay? I want you to repeat after me. God, God use, use me. me. God, use me. God, A plus. Okay. Bless you. Have a good night. Remember what you said there, because we're going to come back to that in a little bit. You said, God, use me. We're going to start this off in Exodus chapter 4. This is a familiar scripture, but for the sake of time, I'm going to begin reading with verse 2. Exodus 4, verse 2. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. Some translations say a rod. And he said, throw it on the ground. This is Moses. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. Now, I like this next part. And Moses ran from it. He threw it on the ground. It became a serpent. Moses was like, peace out. And he ran from it. He got scared. I would too. I hate snakes. But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand and catch it by the tail. Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand or a rod. It became, it went back to what it previously was. So it turned from a snake into a rod. I want to talk to you for a few minutes here about this. Now, what is a rod? Basically, it's just a stick, right? A special stick that's been, oh, I like that stick. I'm going to use it as my staff or as my rod. Like, it's not something super, especially back here, they didn't have these, like, shops where you went and got your custom staff or walking stick. You see those, right, when people have, like, something embossed on it, and they're like, you like my walking stick, right? It's, no, it wasn't that, okay? This is just, like, out in the desert, that'll do, and he, he grabs it and picks it up. Just a common stick, just a stick that has a purpose. Now, up to this point, Moses has been hiding from the call of God on his life. He's been camouflaged, if you will, out in the wilderness for 40 years. We call it a wilderness. It's more like a desert, but just think like barrenness. And he's just been out there camouflaging himself from the call of God. You remember the story in Exodus. He ran away even though God raised him to be the deliverer of his people. And he hid in the wilderness. 
and he was hiding from his calling. Now, after 400 years of Egyptian bondage, my goodness, tongue-tied, after Egyptian bondage, God finds Moses in the desert and speaks through a burning bush. I don't know about you guys, the first time I read that, it caught my attention. It's like, interesting, a burning bush that is not consumed. Okay, like there's some interesting things that happen here, but God got his attention through this. And he told them basically, go set my people free. He gets his attention after all these years out in the wilderness says, go set my people free. Now Moses had tried for 40 years to camouflage his calling. He was equipped but nothing with nothing but a stick and some sandals. Just this common stick and some sandals. And he has an encounter with God. And God says to him, through a burning bush, take your shoes off. Take your shoes off. That's one of the first things he says when he comes up to the burning bush. Now, biblical scholars over the years have come up with some 70 reasons why and what that means, why he said to take off his shoes. Now, this isn't a theology class. I'm not going to break down each one of them for you, but they are all significant, and they aren't all in conflict. A lot of these can, can work together. There's a lot of fascinating reasons and insight. However, the part we're going to look at today as to why God told him to take his sandals or his shoes off is an act of submission or surrender. It was an act of submission or surrender. Basically, in other words, God was saying, stop running. Stop running. Come here. Take off your shoes. Stop running. Because if you were out in this wilderness, like if, if you guys can envision what this is like, you don't go barefoot in the wilderness. He's not going to run away from the call of God without protection on his feet. It just doesn't work that way. And just the mere act of him saying, yes, okay, I want to come to you. I'm submitted to you. I'm surrendering one of the two things I have right now, my stick and my sandals. And he came to him to quit running from his calling. Some of you today have been wrestling with this for far too long, that you feel like you're just maybe running from your calling, and it's time to quit running from it. It's a little side note. God wants you to stop running from your calling. And one of the reasons God wanted his shoes is he said, I want you to stop this. Stop running. Stop wandering through the desert. Stop trying to camouflage yourself from your calling catching up to you because this is your season and your hour. And Moses was fearful. He was fearful. He was scared. He had reason to be in the flesh. This is a scary scenario, a scary situation. And I can relate to this because I remember when when God called me to plant a church. Now, I've never really met a minister that God called to preach or be a pastor that wasn't terrified. Maybe I've come across one or two and things didn't end well for them, okay? So it's, it's really common when you're called to something like this. How on, no, what, me? How, how am I going to do this for some fear and to be right out terrified to happen? Now, maybe your calling here today isn't preaching. Maybe it's something else in some other field, but usually you will have to confront your fear, if you're going to fulfill the purpose and call of God on your life, there's going to be some sort of fear that you're going to have to break through, that God wants to bring you through. The Lord said to him, <clears throat> or well, he said, well, God, I can't do this, right? I can't do this. And he offered God a catalog of excuses, and God said back to him, what's in your hand? And he said, well, I've got this stick. And God said, take the stick and throw it on the ground. And when he threw it on the ground, your Bible says it turned into a snake. Like, what do you, I have this stick. Okay, cool. Throw it on the ground. (laughs) And it turned into a snake. 
It was something that was just common, a common stick that became sensational. It became supernatural when he handed it over to God. It became something much more than what it was when it was in his possession. When he threw the stick down, it turned into a snake, and then Moses ran from it. And then God said, now I want you to pick it up. I want you to pick it up. I want you to confront your fear and pick up that snake. If you're going to fulfill your call, if God is going to use you, you're going to have to overcome your fear. We don't fulfill our God-given calling in our comfort zone. Amen? Anybody ever tried that? Like, God, I I believe you have a calling and a purpose on my life, but just don't make me uncomfortable. God, I believe that you're calling me to go care about the nations and people who have less than me, but please don't put me on a plane to a place that eats weird food and that I've never been over in West Africa. That may have been what was going through my own soul, and God's going to work it out, as he may with some other people on our team. We, he doesn't just work on us in our comfort zone. There's something that he wants to confront in those fears. Sometimes God is going to lead you through those fears. And that stick instantly became a serpent when he threw it on the ground. And then when he picks it up, it becomes a stick again. And I see something powerful in this that I missed the first dozen times that I read this. The stick was so common and it was so ordinary and so average that when he relinquished it, when he took his fingers off of it, when he took what he had and he gave it to God, it became sensational. Something that he would just look at, like, yeah, this is just my staff. We're just going around, you know, shepherding some sheep, hanging out in the wilderness, like, with my stick. And he gives it to God. God does something phenomenal with it, something absolutely sensational. It became supernatural, and it could do things that it could have never done while it was in Moses' hand. And the point I want to make in this is sometimes we think we have to be sensational for God to use us. We think that we have to be just super talented, super brilliant, just amazingly intellectual, good-looking, a great speaker, have all kinds of money, a good resume, a good job. We think we have to have all these things. But really what God is looking for is just something simple, average, ordinary, and common that will hand themselves and what he has done in them over to him and say, use me. He's not looking for all those amazing, sensational things. Because sometimes all God needs is a stick. Sometimes all he needs is a stick. When they're standing at the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his army are coming after Moses and the Israelites, God says, take that stick and hold it up. And he parts the Red Sea. Sometimes all he needs is a stick. When there are bitter waters at Marah and the people are thirsting to death, if you remember this story, after being in the wilderness, God says to Moses, take a tree branch, get a stick and put it in the bitter water. And the bitter water becomes sweet. Because sometimes all God needs is a common stick. Sometimes all he needs is a common, ordinary stick. When God turns the water of the Nile River into blood, the first plague in the book of Exodus that we see, Moses and Aaron took the staff over the waters and the Lord turned the waters into blood to show that he was the one true God. Because sometimes all God needs is a common, ordinary stick. When they were building the school of the prophets with Elisha and one of the men was swinging the only axe they had and the axe head flew off. You remember this story and it goes out in the river 
in the Jordan River. And God said to the prophet, take a stick and throw it in the river. And when he touched the river with the stick, the Bible said the axe head floated to the top and they reached out and retrieved it. Sometimes God doesn't need someone that's an amazing swimmer or diver to go down and get the axe head. He just needs a stick and some obedience and he wants to do supernatural things in that. And when God's ready to redeem the world, he let his son die on two sticks common pieces of wood to accomplish an uncommon purpose because all God needs is a simple stick. Sometimes all God's looking for is common, the ordinary, the normal, a simple shepherd's stick. And as it's handed over to him and entrusted to him, he does amazing things. So I urge you, quit saying like, I'm inadequate. I don't have those skills or abilities. I don't have this. I'm not this. I'm not smart enough. Quit saying that you can't do it, that the task is too big and you're too small because all God needs is a stick. He's already evaluated all of your excuses. He's already evaluated those. And he says, if I needed something like supernatural or spectacular, sure, I may go somewhere else or I may deal with it myself, but I'm choosing you because all I need right now is somebody who's just simply going to say, yeah, use me. Yes, use me. <clears throat> now, in order for God to do this, Moses had to go through a desert. Amen? We forget about that. Like, he had this awesome stick, but what preceded the stick? What preceded all of these miracles and him using him in this way? There was a desert. Now, if you guys are anything like me, we hate deserts, right? I'm not just talking about physical. We hate those desert seasons. And I don't know that any of us here are old enough to have gone through a 40-year-old desert season, okay? So we probably can't relate too much to Moses as far as the span of this wilderness season. But he had to go through some stuff to find that stick, to find that stick. 40 years. We need to realize that sometimes when we're going through this desert or this wilderness or this unknown, disorienting season in our lives where we just don't understand, it is very likely that God has something in that season for you to pick up, for you to grab a hold of, for you to learn, for you to bring with you into the next season. He doesn't have you there to torture you, to just test you and see if you're holy enough. There is something in that season, in that desert, in that wilderness that he has for you to pick up. He doesn't put you through that without there being something that is to be picked up. Because if you think about it, now, God's God. I'm not saying he can't work, but let's think about this story. Had Moses not went through that desert, picked up that stick, think of all the things that came out of that simple staff that he grabbed a hold of from that desert season. <clears throat> and so you go through a desert, you have a hard time, you have trials. God wants to equip you with something that you're going to pick up while you're going through that wilderness. And he's going to double back on and use mightily in your life. And he wants to use mightily in your life. He needs a stick. Sometimes we have to go through desert to find that. So now Moses is ready for the test, if you recall the story. And he goes into Pharaoh and he says, God, let my people go 
Super bold, right? God, let my people go. Now, he's already experienced throwing his staff down, it turned to a snake, picking it back up, turned it back into a staff. He's encountered a burning bush that wasn't consumed. He's seen a little bit of the hand of God in this, amen? So he might be going into this encounter with a little bit of like pep in his step, right? Like, God says, let my people go. Like, what you going to do about it, right? You can see him having maybe a little swagger about this, a little confidence. Now, that may have wavered as time went on, but nevertheless, this encounter, I would have just loved to see how this played out socially. And Pharaoh responds, why should I listen to you? And at the moment Pharaoh said that, why should I believe in you? He pulls that stick out and he throws it down in front of thousands of people in front of Pharaoh. And suddenly, God takes that ordinary, common, average stick and performs the supernatural and it becomes sensational again. It's a snake right in front of everybody, a sign for all to see. And then Pharaoh, out of his arrogance, just kind of yawns, and he's like, bring in the magicians. Let's see what my sorcerers and magicians can do here, right? And he's like, yeah, they can do that too. And then through some sort of sleight of hand or whatever else, um, the, the different commentaries that kind of break this down in the historical context say that these magicians weren't necessarily harnessing the supernatural. It was, think of today when you watch these magicians doing sleight of hand and, and tricky stuff. It was one of those scenarios. And so I wasn't there, but that's what I've, I've learned about it. And so I'm sharing it with you. So something like these snakes may have been encased in some sort of silicone and something, and they throw them down and, oh, look, there's a snake. And it was a, a staff. And Moses is about to have a panic attack. He's like, oh my gosh, they just did that too. Until his snake, you remember the story, turns into king snake here, and it just starts swallowing up all the trickery, all the deception, all those other snakes. It's like, Mm-mm, not here, not today. And it just starts eating them up. It starts eating them up. And it does this amazing thing in front of thousands of people. But the greatest part of this miracle is not that God can take something simple, common, and ordinary like us and put his anointing upon it. His presence transforms it into something brilliant and sensational, gives it supernatural access, all of those things. That's not the biggest miracle here. The greatest part of this miracle is not that the stick could turn into a snake, but the greatest part of this miracle is that the snake could go back after God used it in a massive way to being a stick. I don't get it, Pastor Chris. Okay, hang in there. Maybe the secret to the supernatural and God using us and giving us supernatural success in our business, in our home, in our family, in our life, in our ministries, is that when he uses us and he blesses us, and when he gives us authority to swallow up and become successful and blessed, like this little snake analogy here, when he throws us down on the stage of life in front of everybody and he does something that blows people's minds and he chooses to use us, like where it causes people to say, look at that, what, is, what happened there? Oh my goodness, look at what is happening through this person. What it comes down to is, can God bless you supernaturally with success you never dreamed and it not change who you are? Can he use you in a moment to use you to accomplish something supernatural and then you not get puffed up and arrogant and try to stay this, suit, this snake in this account? I know snake has some other attachments from the book before it, but this is Exodus, okay? Can you, you want to stay a snake when he uses you in this supernatural? I just want to stay like that. But do we have the humility? Are we humble enough? Do we trust and depend enough in him to allow ourselves to still be the same person we were before God showed up and did something amazing in our lives? The bigger miracle is not necessarily God using us, the common, ordinary person, to do something supernatural. 
It's going back to being humble and dependent on God and a servant of him and not getting puffed up in our own righteousness because he chose to use us in any given moment. Sometimes the most supernatural thing you can do is to just be natural after God used you in a supernatural way. To go back to being natural after he used you in a supernatural way. The challenge isn't necessarily can God find somebody that he can bless. The challenge is, can we go back to being a common, ordinary stick and have the same humility and same dependency on God that we had before he did anything in our lives? Can we go back to that? Because there's a lot of people who are just as well off with half as much stuff. Because stuff doesn't necessarily make things easier. It can complicate it. Amen? It just doesn't convolute things. And when there's a necessity and a dependence on God, there's an intimacy and a, and a, like people are in communion with him more often. Having more doesn't always equate to closeness with God or that blessing doesn't always carry over into all those areas. But when God does bless us, when he does work through us, will we choose to stay humble, dependent on him, and allow him to still turn us back into that ordinary common stick, if you will. So I want to close with this thought, and I want you to listen, listen carefully on this. There's going to be more stick days than snake days in your life. There's going to be many more days where it's just ordinary, stick, common, like nothing special, maybe in the mundane, like nothing special that you see happening than the sensational and supernatural. There's going to be more of just the being faithful with the small than the big wow moments as you walk out this Christian life. <clears throat> There's going to be more of those kind of days. But most of life are stick days. Most of work days, most of parenting days, most of marriage days are just the common, ordinary stick days. I can preach the best message ever. People calling on the name of Jesus, getting saved, giving their lives to him, like having radical transformation, some amazing moment in ministry. And after my wife encourages me and celebrates a moment with me, we get back to reality really quick. And she becomes more concerned about, did you remember to take the garbage out before the garbage truck came than how great your little ministry moment was the day before? Because after some amazing thing happens and there's a move of God, it still is back to being common and ordinary. I thought you were working in kids, so I thought I could talk about you without you looking me in the face. <clears throat> Just joking. Um, but you can have these amazing moments, but can you go back to just being faithful in the small, faithful in the seemingly more insignificant or mundane? Because God chooses to use those who can go back to dependence on him and humility. Maybe the reason God doesn't bless more people with supernatural success that swallows up the competition, if you will, is because he can't trust us to go back to being that simple stick. So let's close with this. I never read where God used a snake like that again in the Bible. I never read any more about that snake in that scenario. But I did read again about that stick, that rod, that staff that we see throughout all of these. Now, the Ark of the Covenant had three things in it besides the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant is where in the Old Testament they believe this is where God's presence dwelt. It was a big deal to them. It had three things in it. 
first God wanted the Ten Commandments in there on the stone, so they, they were put in there. And then he wanted a pot of some of the manna from the wilderness to, so that they would remember his provision in the way in which he miraculously took care of them in that wilderness season. <clears throat> and then the final thing that he had in there, you guys remember it? It was Aaron's staff. Now here it says Aaron's. In Exodus it talks about Moses. Academically, Aaron and Moses interchangeably used this stick. Most theologians think it was the same thing. They were working in partnership same thing. Regardless, that stick, that common ordinary stick that accomplished miraculous things was one of the things that was put into the Ark of the Covenant so that they would remember all the things God did, not in their power, but by his provision through the use of something ordinary and something common. He didn't put something sensational in there. He used Aaron and Moses' rod, their stick, as if to say, I resist the proud. I don't want to put something in here, some gold from Pharaoh or something that just talks about some high status. But if you want to get close to me, if you want to have my hand on your life and experience, if you want supernatural blessings that go beyond description, you cannot approach me in your arrogance. You cannot approach me on your own merits. You need to come as a common, ordinary stick, a staff that will be used by me. He wanted something close to him that would speak to his desire to use something common and the memory of him having done that. It wasn't about some big flashy thing, like, oh, I put that in with me. It was something common that he used to accomplish amazing things. And I believe if you'll come to him today and say, Lord, here I am. I don't have to be super talented. I don't have to be super brilliant. I don't have to be what other people are. I give you everything I have everything I possess. And if you'll just simply, humbly come to him in that way, I believe he'll bless you. He'll raise you up. He'll use you mightily. Because I believe the secret to Moses is that he was the meekest man who ever lived. He kept going back to being a stick, and God used him over and over and over again. Imagine how that would beat down just like your faith journey if God's like, go tell him, let my people go. All right, I got you on this. Hey, God says, let his people go. Cool, nice story. Who's that? And you, you see God show up and do miracles and turn water into blood and bring like insects and kill like all the livestock and all these things that happen. And he's like, man, that's got to beat you down. But time and time again, he knew his role. And that was that God was using him. He wasn't going to accomplish it on his own. So in our life as a church right now, individually and collectively, there are plenty of things that we could try to like muster up our own strength and energy and make them happen. There's plenty of things. We got a team going to another country for a mission trip. We could try to make things happen and understand them. And I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out how I could understand it. I gave up finally, praise God, because that's not what it's about, right? With the building situation, we could try to figure out how to make things happen. But that's not necessarily what God wants. He doesn't want just more of our cunning, like strategic plans. He wants us to just come to him, to fully dependent on him, and see how he can work. And I believe in each one of our lives, we have something like that going on right now too. And God wants to work in that. He honors your humility and your obedience and you coming to him and saying, all I got is this. Will you take it and do something amazing? It's amazing what God can do with a stick, with obedience, with humility. God is looking for people that he can touch and raise up. 
So if you remember, I had you repeat something after me at the beginning of the service. And I want to have us kind of old school end with like praying together, like a repeat after me. We're going to pray this and stand on this as a community and believe that God is going to use us, common, ordinary folks, to do amazing things in our families and in this city. Amen? So if you'll just repeat after me. Say, God, use me. Here's my stick. It's just common, ordinary, average, but I relinquish it. I take my fingerprints off of it. I put it in your hands. And if you bless me, I'll go back and I'll give all the glory and I'll be just that stick, the same stick you started out with so many years ago. Now you don't have to repeat anymore. Father, I pray that today you'll speak to the heart of every person. That your voice is in this message, Father. That you're calling us as men and women back to the foot of the cross. Back to the presence of God that made each of us who we are. So today we say yes, Lord. Right where we are. Right where we are. Would you use us? And we cry out, God, use us. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. If I only knew what God could and would do with an ordinary, common, not so special guy like myself, if I only knew what he could do with just a stick, that is the message today. If I only knew what he could do. And I pray that we look back at this moment, we look back at this last year, or the, as we move on a year from now, the previous year, if I only knew what God was going to do in and through me. And we can rejoice and remember that he chooses to use us, and he calls us into this journey with him to see all his kids redeemed to him. Amen? So God bless you guys. Have a great week, and we'll see you after Thanksgiving. Amen?